Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Mark Steinberg, professor of law at Southern Methodist University. We'll be discussing his article, To Call a Donkey a Racehorse, The Fiduciary Duty Misnomer in Corporate and Securities Law, which is forthcoming in the Journal of Corporation Law. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Mark, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks very much, Andrew. I appreciate you inviting me on. It's great to have you on. And I'd like to start with maybe a really basic big question for a corporate law professor. I want to start with fiduciary duty as a general concept. As a general concept, what does it mean to be a fiduciary? What is fiduciary duty? And what kinds of relationships generally give rise to this sort of duty? Certainly in the corporation law context, which we're focused on, we're really talking about, for the most part, the obligations that directors and officers owe to the corporation and to the shareholders collectively. In certain situations, controlling shareholders also have fiduciary duties to the minority shareholders. A fiduciary relationship is certainly a relationship of trust and confidence, whereby the fiduciary is to act to the benefit with respect to those to whom he or she owes the fiduciary duty. I won't ask you to teach an introductory corporations class in, in just the few moments that we have, but I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about maybe the casebook law about fiduciary duty in the corporate context or in the partnership context or in the context of this newfangled entity, the LLC. If you were teaching kind of a business associations class, what are some of the basics that you might offer about the nature of fiduciary duty in the context of these three types of business entities? The three types of business entities have very much been distinguished with respect to the ability of the participants to limit or, in fact, eliminate fiduciary duties. So let me begin with what is the focus of my article, and that is fiduciary duty in the corporate law context. Generally speaking, directors and officers owe two key fiduciary duties to the corporation and to shareholders collectively, the duty of care and the duty of loyalty. There's also the duty of good faith, uh, at least as held by the Delaware courts. The duty of good faith is part and parcel of the duty of loyalty. With respect to the partnership in the LLC context, these duties are owed, but they may not be a fiduciary-like. For example, the Uniform Partnership Act says that the duty of care is not a fiduciary duty, and of course, very much limits what that obligation is. But in the corporate law context, the duties of care and loyalty, at least by their rhetoric, remain very vibrant. In your article, you talk about the legal rhetoric and the legal reality of fiduciary duty now diverging in the business entity context. I want to break that down in a moment into kind of what that means for duty of care and duty of loyalty. We can take those one by one. But before we get to that, could you talk about what you mean by a divergence between the rhetoric of the law and the reality of the law of fiduciary duty? How might the law or how might the rhetoric, how do they actually diverge from reality? What are you seeing in the case law? And is this a recent development that you've seen? I think this has been a situation which has progressed through years and years. For whatever reason, it has not been expressly noted. And so far as I'm aware, my article is the very first writing on this. It will be published as the lead article in issue number one 
of the next volume of the Journal of Corporation Law. And what I'm pointing to here is the rhetoric the courts use, very much a jawboning or being hortatory with respect to the very strong obligations that directors and officers owe to the corporation and the shareholders collectively. Yet, when the determination is with respect to the imposition of liability, very lax standards are in fact applied. So in other words, the rhetoric with respect to the standards are very much that of best practices, where fiduciaries are encouraged to engage in this conduct, yet with respect to the legal implications, the imposition of liability is imposed on a far more relaxed basis. Let's take that observation duty by duty. First, maybe discussing the duty of care. When it comes to the duty of care in the corporate context, in the partnership context, in the LLC context, what's the rhetoric, the jawboning that courts engage in? And what's the reality? Where's the divergence between those two things? Certainly. For example, the courts point out that directors must exercise the duty of care as a reasonable person would in undertaking their tasks, a reasonable person in like circumstances. Yet what we have with respect to the duty of care uh, is the application of the business judgment rule where liability is not imposed unless there's gross negligence. A level of culpability that is sufficient to impose exemplatory damages in other contexts. Furthermore, there is the enactment of the exculpation statutes, which, at least in the vast majority of states, if included in the subject corporation's articles of incorporation, eliminates monetary liability for breaches of the duty of care unless a director acts with knowing misconduct or engages in a breach of the duty of loyalty. So when referring to the duty of care here, even though directors by the rhetoric must act as a reasonable director would act in like circumstances to act as the overseer of the corporate affairs with respect to, for example, the officers of the corporation. In fact, liability is only imposed if there's a decision made untainted by the duty of loyalty, only if gross negligence is shown. And furthermore, With respect to the application of the exculpation statutes, then liability monetarily is not even imposed if there's gross negligence. Even more must be shown. So in other words, the duty of care and application is not really a duty of care when it comes to monetary liability. With respect to the exculpation statutes, it's really the duty not to engage in reckless or other types of knowing misconduct. And I'd pose the same question about the duty of loyalty. Where's the rhetoric? Where's the reality? And where's the divergence between the two? Sure. Let's take the duty of good faith. The duty of good faith, which the Delaware courts have made clear that that duty is part of the duty of loyalty. The Ritter versus Stone decision decided about a decade ago or so provides a good example there with respect to the obligation of the board to implement law compliance procedures and practices. The court's rhetoric was that the board should be active in this process and should engage in a very active oversight. However, when the question arose as to the liability of directors, the court held that in order to impose liability for the lack of implementation or adoption of adequate internal controls, then in fact, the directors must have failed to implement any type of controls utterly failed to, I think was the jargon that the court used, or that having implemented these controls, that the board consciously failed 
to monitor them so that the duty of good faith becomes very watered down to basically engaging in willful misconduct in not adopting these types of processes. And if adopted, then consciously, namely, basically on purpose, ignoring whether they're in fact working. Uh, So that's a huge divergence as well. Situations where you have related party transactions or derivative litigation, where the business judgment rule is applied to permit these situations to basically not be adjudicated. That, of course, the business judgment rule, as we just went over, upholds a board's decision so long as it is made uh, without gross negligence, provided it's a deliberative decision and the duty of loyalty is not involved. So those are a few key examples where the rhetoric is very much different, a great departure from the legal standards that actually apply in determining the legal ramifications of alleged fiduciary misconduct. You identify areas where this rhetoric of fiduciary duty, either in the care or the loyalty context, where that rhetoric diverges from reality. And I guess a question that perhaps raises or poses is, why does this matter? Is it a problem for law for the legal profession, for the public understanding of what the law requires for the courts, if there is this divergence. And if it's a problem, if it matters, if it's something that we might have some worry about, is there anything that you suggest we do about that divergence between rhetoric and reality? Let's say if you were chatting with some vice chancellors on Delaware Chancery Court or some other state fiduciary judges who might employ similar rhetoric and perhaps have a divergence from that rhetoric and and their decisions, what might you say to them? This is, of course, discussed in the article. There may be good reason to apply the business judgment rule in certain contexts. So my position is not that the business judgment rule is not an appropriate vehicle to apply in corporate law settings, at least in certain contexts. My point here is that It is widespread that corporate fiduciaries, directors, and officers owe fiduciary duties. That's in court decisions going back, of course, for scores of years. Furthermore, at least learned investors have the perception that these individuals are fiduciaries owing a duty of care and loyalty. But in fact, as lawyers in the field know, and other sophisticated parties, directors are held liable on a far more lax standard. Therefore, basically to call the situation as it is, these individuals should not be called fiduciaries. They are not fiduciaries with respect to how the legal standards are applied. This should be considered to be a sui generis situation, a unique situation whereby the legal standards that apply that are in the public interest and consistent with law should be the standards that apply. But they often are by no means fiduciary in nature. They take on a very different contextual meaning. What key takeaways would you like listeners to have from this interview or from the paper? And are there any open questions that you think are still pending from this article that you might hope to tackle in the future? This reminds me of my telephone conversation with the articles editor of the Journal of Corporation Law. Very bright gentleman. He's going to be working in New York City for a international law firm after graduation, after clerking there this summer. And his reaction was, we studied these cases in business enterprise law, and we didn't really understand how these individuals were caught fiduciaries on one hand, 
but yet they weren't held liable for what seemingly seemed to be pretty bad conduct. I would recommend that the article be read by every single student who's going to take business enterprise law, and these cases are going to make a whole lot more sense. So my point here is, and I thank them for that, and my point here is that law students and others hear again and again that directors and officers are fiduciaries. And of course, that connotes a relationship of trust and confidence, acting unselfishly, acting in the best interests of the individuals or entities to whom that duty is owed. But in fact, the legal standards which are applied are very lax with respect to these individuals. These individuals in certain circumstances, for example, can usurp corporate opportunities that are to their advantage, which the corporation could have benefited from. They're not held liable unless they engage often in utter disregard, reckless misconduct, conduct that is sufficient to impose exemplatory damages in other contexts. So therefore, although these individuals are called fiduciaries, they're not fiduciaries. This is like entering a donkey in the Kentucky Derby and calling the donkey secretariat by way of analogy that you can call the donkey whatever you want, but the donkey is not the great racehorse secretariat. And that's what's being passed off here to a degree that these individuals are called fiduciaries, but in fact, how they're treated by the courts with respect to their liability exposure, they are certainly not fiduciaries. We should recognize that. The law should recognize that. Whatever standards that ought to be applied should take into account public policy, be consistent, of course, with the legal framework, and they should be called as they are, but not fiduciary in nature. Our guest has been Mark Steinberg, professor of law at Southern Methodist University. We've discussed his article, To Call a Donkey a Racehorse, The Fiduciary Duty Misnomer in Corporate and Securities Law, which is forthcoming in the Journal of Corporation Law. I'll link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Mark, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Well, thank you, Andrew. Very much have enjoyed getting to know you through our previous meetings. Look forward to seeing you in the future. Of course, I wish you the best. All right. Same here. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.